Well, as we finish the series, Why Men Hate Church, one of the uh, areas I want to talk about today is the reason a lot of men have struggled with church, they have a hard time connecting with church, they have a hard time really getting involved, and women too, for that matter, is most people don't really see the church as relevant to their career. They don't see the church relevant to their business. They don't see the Bible of any benefit at all to their career or to their business. And part of it is they don't understand their calling as a businessman or their calling as being a career person, their calling in the world. See, the reality is whether you are, you know, if you are a business person today, if you, if you are a business person, a scientist, a doctor, a lawyer, a career person, if you are anything outside of full-time ministry, your biblical calling in the body of Christ is to be a king. The revelation says God has created us as a nation of kings and priests. That, that's the options in the body of Christ. For those of us in full-time ministry like myself, God's called me to be a priest in the body of Christ. But the priests are the minority in the body of Christ. Kings are the majority. And the problem with the church today is many people don't have a clear understanding of what it means to be a king in the body of Christ. Because we don't teach the relationship of kings and priests. We don't understand the relationship of kings and priests. And so we have a lot of business people and career people in the world today frustrated. And they, they, they feel like they've missed God because they're not in missions. They're not in ministry. They haven't sold everything. And they're not living in a hut in Africa somewhere. And they just feel like they've missed it. When the reality is what you have been created to do is your calling. That business, that career, that job, that is your calling. That is your ministry for the kingdom. My ministry is being a pastor on Sunday morning and throughout the week. Whether your ministry is military or business or career or whatever it is, that's your calling. That is your ministry. Until you begin to understand that is what God has created you to do, you're never really going to flourish in your calling. You may achieve success in the world's idea of success, but you could sacrifice your family at the result of success. You could sacrifice your marriage at the result of success. So I want to talk about the relationship of kings and priests today and how we become stewards and not owners in the world that we live in. See, this is the biggest transition that if, if you've recently become a believer, if you've recently become a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to understand that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to let go of ownership and become a steward of your life. That house is not yours, you're a steward of it. You're not an owner, you're a steward. The car, you don't own the car, you're a steward of the car. Your career, it's not your career, you're a steward of that career. That business, it's not your business, you're a steward of the business. As a follower of Christ, we surrender everything to God. It's all his, I don't own any of it, I simply oversee this body, I oversee this career, I oversee this business, I oversee this house, I oversee this car for the Lord. It's all the master's, it's all his. You know what the beauty of being a steward is? You're not responsible. See, when you're a steward, you just have to obey the master. At the end of the day, you're not responsible. You just do your best to listen to what the master is doing. And when you live your life as a steward, it takes a lot of stress and a lot of pressure off of your career. It takes a lot of stress off of your business. It takes a lot of stress off of your income because your job is just to listen to God and do what he says do with your talent. Do what he says do with your ability. Do what he says do with your positions. And it becomes a very easy life. So it's making that transition from ownership to stewardship. Let's look at a king in the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read about King David and study kind of what a king is, 
uh, in the Old Testament and understand how that relates to us in the world that we live in today in the New Testament side. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war. If you have a Bible, I would underline that statement if you're a business person or a career person or if you're a king in the body of Christ. That's a very important statement to understand. There is an appointed time for kings to go to war. There is an appointed time to go to battle. And you've got to understand that as a business person, as a career person, that you are appointed by God to go to war. And how many of you understand, those of you that have a secular job, those of you that, that, that have a career, that have a business, how many of you will agree with me this morning that it is a war? It is a battle Monday to Friday. It is not, you have people gunning for you, you have people trying to take your job, you have people trying to destroy your business, you have competitors trying to put you out of business. How many agree with me, it is a battle? See, unfortunately, most pastors live in a fairy tale world. They don't understand the war that you go to on Monday morning. And because of that, most pastors don't know how to effectively minister to their kings, encourage their kings, or build up their kings because they don't have a concept of the battles that you face Monday to Friday. They don't realize that it is war out there. People are trying to stab you in the back, take your job, destroy your career. It is a battle out there. At the time when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, if this was a movie script, if, this, if we were watching a movie right here, the music just changed. How many know when the music changes, dun, 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 I mean, you know something, dun, 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 I mean, you know something bad's about to happen. I mean, Jaws is about to pop up, Freddy Krueger, Jason, something is bad. Is that The music just changed in this chapter. At the, times when King, at the time when kings are supposed to go off to war, however, David stayed in Jerusalem. The music changes. And we all know the story. If you continue to read it, those of you that don't know uh, your Old Testament history, it's quite all right. The story goes, David stays at home, doesn't go off. He's not in battle. He's not in war where kings are supposed to be sitting on the rooftop, checking out all the girls bathing because he knows what time they bathe. It was a law in the land. It was a law that he actually started in the land. So he's up on the rooftop watching all the naked women bathing on the rooftops. He falls in love with one or lust, not love, he falls in lust with one, ends up sleeping with her, committing adultery, getting her pregnant. She's married to one of his faithful soldiers. He sends his soldier out on the front line to try to get him killed. The guy gets killed. So David now frames a guy, gets him murdered, uh, uh, gets a girl pregnant. I mean, just bad news happened. And before everything is said and done, an innocent child dies. All because David should have been off at war. David should have been off at battle, but he was a king and he wasn't doing what a king was supposed to do. It's a tough lesson to learn. Here's a king. He wasn't where a king was supposed to be. He was created for war and he stayed home, not doing what he was called to do. Let me give you another story about King Saul. Uh, Saul is a brand new king. He's only been king for two years. He's brand new. He's young. It's the first king of Israel. They don't know if he can lead. They don't know how gifted he is or how talented he is. They don't know if he really has the ability to lead. And all of a sudden, the Philistines come out to war with Israelites. And so there's this big battle. You got the entire Philistine camp here. You got the entire Israelite camp here. You got this brand new king. He's never been trusted. He's never been in battle. He's never led an army. The people don't have a lot of confidence in him. The priest, Samuel, says, Saul, wait seven days. 
Seven days and then I will come and I will seek God's blessing over this battle. Do not go into battle without God's blessing. Wait seven days for me. And the reason Samuel said that is because in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Deuteronomy 20, 1 through 4, when you go out to fight your enemies and you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. When you prepare for battle, the priest must come forward to speak to the troops. He will say to them, listen to me, all you men of Israel. Do not be afraid as you go out today to fight your enemies. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them, for the Lord your God is going to be with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. You see, the Bible clearly told the kings of the Old Testament, do not go to battle without the priest's blessing. The priest must come and offer incense unto the Lord, offer a burnt offering to God to bless the war that you're about to go in. See, one of the big things of our businessmen today is they're going into battle every Monday morning without the blessing of God on their life. Without the blessing of God. One of the things that John and I are talking about this week is building a prayer covering, a spiritual covering for the businessmen and the career people of our church. Already we're praying for people, people that are up for job interviews. They're letting us know when the job interview is, what time it is, and we have a team praying for them right in the middle of their interview. We have a guy in our church who's up for a a contractor, up for two projects. We have a team praying right now that God will give his company favor of the two contracts that he's interviewing with right now. We want to build a prayer covering over the kings of our church. We know that you are in war on Monday morning. You are in war on Tuesday morning. We don't want you to go into battle not knowing that your church is seeking God's blessing. Now, when I say the word blessing, I'm not saying permission. You know, you can make this really weird and really strange and turn it into some weird cult doctrine that you need the pastor's permission before you do anything. We're not talking permission. We're talking blessing. We're talking about praying for God to give you favor in that interview, praying for God to give you favor over that contract, praying for God to give you favor in that promotion, praying for God to give you wisdom and insight for business ideas and creativity and promotions and advancements, seeking God's blessing over the battles that you face during the week. So any of you businessmen, if you have something coming up, just email us, prayer at coastlinechurch.org. Real simple, prayer at coastlinechurch.org. We will create prayer teams praying for you. If it's an exact time, day, we'll have teams praying for you at the minute. If you're meeting with your board of directors, we'll have a team praying for you when you're in the middle of that meeting because we want you to walk in there knowing that your church is seeking God's blessing over the battles you face as a businessman. So that's what happens. Samuel tells Saul, wait seven days. Now look what happens. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. So Saul was obedient. He did exactly what Samuel did. He waited seven days, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel didn't come. Samuel didn't show up. Saul doesn't know if he's been killed. He doesn't know if he's been kidnapped. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is Samuel isn't there. So Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. See, what's going on is Saul's losing his army. The people are scared. The Philistine army is getting bigger and bigger. His army is getting scared. They're deserting him. They're fleeing. They're leaving him. He's all by himself. Samuel doesn't show up. He waits seven days. He's not there. Doesn't know what happened to Samuel. Could have got stuck in traffic. Could have got delayed. Missed his flight. Doesn't know. Samuel's just not there. 
So Saul says, bring me the burnt offering. Let me do it. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Now you got to understand, Samuel and Saul are like father and son. These two guys loved each other. They, were, they had a father-son relationship. Saul runs out to meet him and welcome him. And I believe Saul genuinely was thrilled to see him because he was probably relieved that nothing bad happened to him. And Samuel's response isn't, what did you, I, I got caught in traffic, I'm late, I'm sorry, it's my bad. No, what does Samuel do? Samuel says, what have you done? Period. No apologies, no excuses. What have you done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. Don't you love the blame shifting there? It's not my fault, it's your fault. You didn't arrive. You're the one that made me do it. Don't you love America? If you've got a problem, you're not responsible. We'll create an ism for you. Whether it's alcoholism or whatever kind of ism it is, if you have a, you have a food ism, it's not your fault. You don't need to take responsibility. We'll turn it into a disease so that you don't have to be responsible for your actions. I love it. I love it. It's all the way back in the Bible. So again, folks, this is nothing new that we're dealing with today. They had these symptoms in the Bible. This was the you-ism. You didn't show up when you said you would show up, and you didn't arrive. So because of you, I had to do what I did. So Saul replied, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. Verse 12, so I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Now understand, Saul's motives are pure. Saul's not doing anything with evil intentions here. Saul genuinely wants to seek God's blessing so that they can win this battle on behalf of the Lord. Saul's motives are pure. And, and you know, how many agree that he probably shouldn't have done it? You know, I agree. He probably shouldn't have done the burnt offering. He probably should have waited and just trusted Samuel to show up. But let's be honest, folks. On a scale of 1 to 10, compared to some of the stuff the other kings did, I mean, you look at David setting a guy up, getting him murdered, committing adultery, and you look at this, on a scale of 1 to 10, I may judge this a 2 or 3. It doesn't sound like that big a deal. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Are you kidding me? He's going to lose his entire kingdom over a burnt offering? I mean, compared to the other guys, he's going to lose everything because of a burnt offering? Man, when I first read this, it was a hard, I had a hard time figuring, I'm like, God, did you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed that morning? Did somebody just tick you off and you were looking for someone to take it out on? See, every time you see something in scripture that appears to be an overreaction from God, it's because there's a truth there. There's a principle there that is so holy, God will do whatever it takes to protect that truth. God will do whatever it takes to protect that truth. And the principle was, Saul, you're a king. You're not a priest. That's not your job. Don't get into the priest business. You do what you're called to do. Let the priest do what he's called to do. And the partnership between the two of you will see victory in church. We'll see victory in the kingdom. We'll see victory in your life. But when you see people trying to get outside of their calling and do what they're not called to do, that's when bad things happen see it all over America. You see these little storefront churches everywhere. 
You got some frustrated king who thinks the only way he can please God is to be in a ministry. So he sets up a little storefront church, and he's got enough of the king's anointing in his life to get the money to open that little storefront, but he doesn't have the priest's anointing to actually build the church, and you got 20 people for 20 years, and all of the people are suffering because they're not plugged in to a healthy, life-giving, growing church. And you're holding people back from their destiny, and, you're ho- and innocent people are suffering. We see that all throughout the world. Somebody, you know, their career doesn't go the way they want it to go, and all of a sudden they feel like they're called into ministry. They think it's easier. I, I'll go be a pastor. I'll go be a minister. I'll go be a Bible college. It's, it's, no, you've got to understand, if you are called to be a king, you need to be the greatest king that you can be. And throughout Scripture, we see stories, Uzzah. Uzzah was one of David's mighty men that David sent to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the temple, back to the palace, back to the, back to the kingdom. And so here these guys are bringing the ark back, and the ark and the, the donkeys hit an uh, uneven spot on the road, and the ark begins to fall, and it's going to be broken. And Uzzah's not trying to vandalize the ark. He's not trying to desecrate the ark. He's trying to protect the ark. He reaches up his hand to protect the ark and hold it steady so that it's not broken, and then God strikes him dead. Again, is this another overreaction on the part of God? See, there's a principle there that is so holy God will do whatever it takes to protect that principle. See, when kings try to act like priests, bad things happen. Same thing as priests trying to act like kings. How many pastors, you know, try to get into side business ventures with church members, and all of a sudden, bad things happen in their church? And we see it all over America. Priests trying to act like kings, kings trying to act like priests, and the entire time, innocent people get hurt. you got to understand In the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes. One tribe was the tribe of Levite. The other 11 tribes weren't. The Levites were called to be priests. The other 11 weren't. You never saw the tribe of Levite trying to recruit the other guys of the priesthood. You never see the Levites going to the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Dan saying, you're on fire for God. You should go to Bible college and be a priest. But in the body of Christ today, we meet somebody on fire for God, and our first assumption is you should go to Bible college. You should be in the ministry. You're on fire for God. You know what? We need more on fire kings than we need priests. So we got people that are willing to serve. What we don't have is the kings that can help fund the, the work of God being expanded to all four corners of the globe so that every person can hear the message of Christ. And part of it is because we don't understand the healthy relationship of kings and priests in the body of Christ. Now, realize that all of us are kings and priests. Like in my personal life, I'm a king and priest. In my personal life, I've got to balance the checkbook. I've got to make sure we pay the bills for our apartment so we don't get evicted. You know, in my personal life, I've got to operate as a king. And in my personal life, I've got to operate as a priest. I need a personal relationship with God. Beyond my ministry life, I need to know God. Outside of my ministry, I need to know God for me. Same with you. If you're a king, you need to be a priest and a king in your private life. In your private life, you've got to handle the family finances. In your private life, you also need a relationship with God. So privately, we're king and priest. Publicly, we're predominantly one or the other. Very, there, there may be an exception where you're a little bit of both, but oftentimes when you see the people walking that fence, if they haven't heard from God, it ends up hurting people. So let's look at this relationship. Let's look at the two primary responsibilities of kings and priests. Now, this is not the only responsibility. Let me give a a very loud disclaimer. This is not the only responsibility. These are the primary responsibilities of kings and priests. The primary responsibility of the priest is to provide vision. 
vision for the kingdom. Now, when I say vision, it doesn't mean the priest is supposed to tell you who to marry. The priest is supposed to tell you what job to have. Vision is the word of God. It's, it's life. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 18. This is the description of vision. Proverbs 29, verse 18. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Divine guidance is vision for your life. Vision for your life. See, the old school philosophy in America was, you know, in most churches is you get this pastor and the pastor has this beautiful grand vision and you get everyone to serve the vision. Well, the reality is you need to understand something. Aaron Jane does not have a vision for this church. God has a vision. I'm doing my best as pastor to piece it together. But it's not my vision. It's God's vision. It's our vision. It's not my vision and your vision. God has given us a collective vision for this church. My role in the vision is to help speak life and and guidance into your world, to help you become a godly father, to help you become a godly mother, to help you be a godly husband, to help you be a godly wife, to help you be a godly businessman or a godly career person. Because if I don't help speak divine guidance into your life, people run wild. One translation of the Bible says people live like wild, untamed horses. You're running wild. See, let me explain something. It does not matter how much talent LeBron James has. If he doesn't stay in bounds, he's not going to win basketball games. He's not going to get paid big money. He stays in bounds. Why? Because he has vision. He has vision because he knows talent isn't enough. Gifting isn't enough. He's got to keep the ball on the court. Because if he gets too many technical fouls, he's not playing anymore. doesn't matter how good he is. If he fouls out of the game, he can have all the talent in the world, but he's going to be sitting the bench with everyone else. So if LeBron James tried to live his life wild and untamed on the basketball court, he's not going to be successful. That's why it's critical that you have vision in your life. Vision for your marriage. Vision for your family. Vision for your career. Vision on how to live a godly life. Vision on how to line yourself up biblically to keep yourself in the lane so you don't destroy your marriage, destroy the relationship with your children, destroy your life. That's what vision is all about. It's that divine guidance. See, you have every right to expect that sometime during the week, I, as your pastor, am going to get alone with God so that I can hear from God, study the scripture, to be able to bring truth and bring life to you, to help you follow God and become closer to Jesus. You have every right to expect that. You should expect that of me. You should expect me to be alone with God every week, to hear from him, to be able to speak on Sunday morning and be able to speak life into your situation, be able to speak life into your marriage, be able to speak life into your family, be able to speak life into your career, not career advice. I'm not going to tell you what job to take, or I'm not going to tell you uh, where to invest your money. That's not my job. My job is to speak biblical principles and life into your situation. That is my primary responsibility. So what is the primary responsibility of king? Not the only responsibility, but the primary responsibility of the kings is to provide provision. Provision for the vision. Provision for the vision. That's the primary responsibility of the king. Do you remember when I, I said, mark that phrase at the time when kings go out to battle? Well, why did the kings of the Old Testament go out to battle? Why did they go to war? To acquire lands to acquire resources, to acquire possessions, to acquire provision for the kingdom. They conquered land so that they could enlarge the kingdom. 
That was the Old Testament model. We are in a New Testament model. You've got to understand when you go to work Monday morning, you are going to work to conquer for the purposes of the kingdom. Whether that is provision, is leadership and influence, or whether that provision is wealth and career advancement, whatever it is, you are called to go out and conquer, go to battle, go to war every single week to acquire provision and resources to build the kingdom of God. And it's when there's a healthy partnership of kings and priests that the body of Christ goes forward in a community. Has anyone ever ever wondered if... Uh, the electric company just really likes our church and decide not to charge us for utilities? I mean, guess what, folks? We've got to pay a utility bill just like everyone else. It's just the reality. It's got to come from somewhere. That's why you need a partnership of kings and priests in the body of Christ because you can't have your pastor going out and getting another job all week so that I can pay the utility bill to be able to speak on Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. My job is to hear from God. The king's job is to provide the provision for the vision. That's why you have to understand there is a purpose to your career. There is a purpose to your job. You are called to something great, and you got to stop feeling guilty about your calling. Stop feeling uh, unfulfilled about your calling. Stop feeling unexcited about your calling. When you go to war on Monday morning, you're doing it with an eternal perspective. You're doing it with a kingdom mentality. You're doing it with a purpose. One of my friends in Los Angeles was a, a, a very successful lawyer in Beverly Hills. And for 30 years, I mean, the guys tried over 3,000 cases in court, never lost. But lived 30 years of his Christian life in guilt, in condemnation because he wasn't in the ministry. Because God gifted him to be a lawyer. He thought he missed God because he didn't sell everything and go be a missionary somewhere. And I sat down, I said, listen, God called you to be a king. This is your gift. This is your talent. This is what you were created for. You were created to go into court, battle, and win. And you shouldn't feel guilty that that that's what God created you to do. You need to conquer in your area in life. And let's be real honest. If the kings don't win Monday to Friday, how many know it doesn't matter how, how great the vision is on Sunday morning. If the kings don't win Monday to Friday, there is no church on Sunday morning. There's got to be a healthy partnership between kings and priests. I don't want the financial pressure of this church. I'll be real honest with you. I don't want it. I don't want to have to stay up all night wondering if we're going to be able to pay bills or not. Now, fortunately, God has blessed this church where I don't have that stress on me. But as the church grows, I don't want all the pressure on me. See, I want us to have a healthy model of kings and priests partnering together so as the church advances, as we reach into this community more, as we reach into Mexico more, as we reach into world missions more, the kings of our church realize when I go to work on Monday morning, I am going for a purpose. I am creating provision for the kingdom of God with what I do. It's prosperity for a purpose. God has no problem prospering you as long as there is a purpose. One of the young men in uh, service earlier this morning, I was meeting with him this week for coffee, and we we're talking about you know the message today, and and just just really challenging one another. And I said, you know, you need to get a vision for why you go to work, because he really believes he's gonna he wants to do something big for the kingdom. I said, you need to get a vision for it. You need to just tell yourself one day I want to write a million dollar check to the work of God. You know, whether it's to a church, whether it's to a mission, whether it's to a ministry, whatever it is, one day I want, I, I'm, I'm setting a goal in my life that one day I will write a million dollar check and he's in a business where that's a realistic possibility with his career. 
I said, just set a goal. You've got to set a vision for what you want to do with your career. That's what the Bible talks about in Deuteronomy. Kings should not multiply wealth unto themselves, but multiply wealth unto the kingdom. Your calling is to conquer. Your calling is to go to war. Your calling is to advance in whatever career God has called you to do. That's why it's critical you listen to the Holy Spirit over your career. That's why it's critical there has to be a God factor in your life. You know, one of the uh, businessmen I've worked with uh, in the past who was a board member of an organization I was a part of, uh, he told me the story of, of, you know, just after years of learning to be faithful in his business and follow God in his business. And, you know, because when he got saved, he was doing some unethical things in his business. And he decided, you know, I'm going to walk in integrity in my business. I'm going to do things right in my business. Even if it means I'm going to lose a job because I won't cut a corner, I'm going to do it right and just trust God to honor and bless. And because of that, he was driving down a highway in uh, uh, Lubbock, Texas, number, about five years ago, and just praying in the Spirit. And as he was driving down the highway, the Holy Spirit showed him this abandoned airport to the side of the road. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to his heart by it. Well, it didn't make any sense in the natural. It's not a good business move. It's not a good investment. It's an abandoned airport in the middle of nowhere. But he learned the voice of God. He learned to listen to the Holy Spirit. He took a step of faith and bought it. Took it cost him about $100,000. He spent about $50,000 fixing up the runway, fixing up the flight tower. A year later, somebody offered him $1.5 million for it. See, there's a power to having the God factor in your career. See, as the pastor, one of the things that, one of my goals as a pastor is to help my church get into a position where they leave an inheritance for their grandchildren. See, a lot of times people think the only thing the pastor of the church is concerned about is what you give the church. Not for me. If all you do is give your money to the church and you don't create an inheritance for your grandchildren, then I have failed you as a pastor. Because the Bible clearly tells me a godly man will leave an inheritance to his children and his children's children. Well, if you give all your money to the church, you can't leave an inheritance to your grandchildren. How many of you understand what I'm saying? My desire is to build godly people in this church. Well, godly people leave inheritance to their grandchildren. So I want to help you get into a position where you're acquiring provision, you're acquiring resource, you're building wealth, not just for the kingdom, but yes, for the kingdom, but also for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren, because that's part of it biblically. So I tell people all the time, you hear a lot of people say, well, you need to pray about what you give. I always tell people you need to pray about what you earn. Because if you don't earn what God has given you the ability to earn, you can't give what God wants you to give. See, you can give 100% of your income away and still miss God because you didn't give enough. Well, how is that possible? You didn't earn what God asked you to earn because you weren't listening to him about your career. You weren't listening to him about your investments. You weren't listening to him. And I'm not going to give you business advice. You need, and this is why the Bible clearly says that kings should meditate on the word of God day and night. Kings should almost know the Bible as well as the pastor. Why? So that you can hear his voice. So that when he does speak to you supernaturally over this or over that, you're there, you can hear it, you can receive it. If you don't know his voice, you're going to be taking risky investments and you're going to lose money and you're going to bomb. But if you can learn to get into the word of God daily, trust God, get to know God, learn his voice. When he speaks to you over your business and career, you know when it's his voice. And that's why it's critical you learn that. In closing, let me talk about one last example of a great king. One last example of a great king, and again, this is about King David. And I know we talk a lot about David's problems and David's failures and, and, and David's sin. But in closing, I want to I talk about, you know, 
David being a man after God's own heart and why David was a man after God's own heart. First Chronicles 29.2, using every resource at my command. I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. This is David speaking. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stone, costly jewels, and all kinds of stone and fine marbles. David put everything together to build the temple. You know, they had some Christian economists study this the other day to find out what the equivalent of this would be in the today's market. They said this was the equivalent of about $350 million. All of this came out of the business. This came out of the kingdom. This wasn't David's money. This was out of the kingdom. This was out of his business. Out of his business, he paid for the temple debt-free. No capital campaign, no fundraising, no slick advertisements that the priests had to put on. King paid for it debt-free. Then in verse 3, I love this. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, because David's heart for the house, David had a heart for God's house, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple, I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir, 262 tons of refined silver, and it goes on and on and on. See, the first offering came out of the business. The second offering came out of his personal accounts. The first offering, they said, valued at around $350 million. The second offering, they say, valued at $1.2 billion. I mean, imagine being able to write a $1.2 billion check to the work of God because you had a heart for the house. It didn't happen accidentally. David had to be faithful over his career to get to that point. As a result, it motivated all the people of the land. They gave an additional offering of $1.8 billion. So after the temple was paid for debt-free, they took another $3 billion to endow the entire operation of the temple so that the priests never had to worry about money. So I'd love in our church or any church in our community if All I had to do was focus on hearing from God. I didn't have to carry the financial responsibility of wondering how we're going to make a utility payment. As God's blessing our church, as he is right now, and the children's building is full every single Sunday. You know, in the very near future, we're going to have to build an entire children and family center right here on site to expand all of our operations and all of our ministry to children in this community. See, I'd love when we get to that point for one of the kings of our church just to come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I was listening to the Holy Spirit a couple years ago, and he spoke to me about this investment, and I did it, and and God blessed it, and it multiplied. Uh, I have plenty of left over here. Let me write a check for the building so you don't have to do a capital campaign. Here's a check. Just pay for it cash. We don't need to worry about a campaign here. So I'd love if our kings of our church would realize that their calling as kings is extremely significant, extremely critical, not just for the sake of the church, but, but for the sake of their grandchildren, for the sake of their life. You are called, you are anointed. That business, that career, that is your ministry. You're not just doing it to survive. God equipped you to do that as your ministry, as your calling, whatever it is, whether you're called to give influence, whether you're called to give wealth, whether you're called to give talent, whether you're called to give resources, your job as a king is to multiply for the purposes of the kingdom so that I as a priest don't have to have to worry about raising. I don't want to raise money. I'm just being real transparent this morning. I don't like raising money. I hate raising money. I don't want to be a fundraiser for this church. I want to be able to get along with God every week and really help 
speak life into your marriage and speak life into your children and speak life into your families and speak life into your careers, but I don't want to have to worry about raising money every week. I just want the kings to do their part, the priests to do their part, and let's just build a healthy partnership and see God advance in this community. And if you'll be faithful in your part, then I can be faithful not to have to worry about money because how many of you want a pastor that's losing sleep at night stressing over how they're going to pay bills? I mean, no, a pastor like that's not going to be able to hear from God. A pastor like that is going to have, you know, you know what perverts the doctrine of the gospel? Lack. See, people think that, 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 you know, money perverts the gospel. It's lack that perverts the gospel. You see all these crazy guys on TV saying whatever they can to raise money. Why? It's because they don't have any. So they, 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 they come up with strange doctrine and crazy just stuff. Why? So that they can get money out of you. That's not biblical. And I commit to you, I will not, I, I will go bankrupt before I do that. And I know God's not going to let us go bankrupt because God's blessing is on this house. But I'm committing to you, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a professional fundraiser. I want to hear from God every week. I want to get alone with God. I want to I really seek God to speak life every Sunday morning into your situation. Speak life into your family. And I don't want to be stressing over money. So today I'm making a commitment to you. I'm giving you the responsibility to finance the church. And I'm taking the responsibility to hear from God every week so I don't have to lose sleep. I'm not losing sleep now because God's taking care of it. And I'm committing to you. I'm not going to lose sleep in the future over it. I'm just going to trust God that he's going to bless you. And some of you, you're going to be excited to be able to write that million-dollar check one day. You're going to love it. It, I mean, you're going to feel so good writing that check one day, whether it's to Coastline or another church, we'll happily receive uh, because we've got a lot of people to reach here. But it doesn't matter if you do it here or you do it somewhere else. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to rejoice with you and God puts you in that position one day, whatever it is. You know, whether it's advancing in your career, Aaron, when you become general one day of the military, uh, you know, four-star general of the Marine Corps, I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to rejoice with you. Bow your heads and close your eyes this morning.